From the former convent of the Good Shepherd overlooking Inwood Hill Park in New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where you meet musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome rock doc, concert film director, music producer, engineer, mixer, and DJ, Jesse Lauder. Jesse's production credits include artists such as Tedeschi Trucks Band, Stephen Stills and Judy Collins, and Ben Harper, among many others. Jesse directed, produced, and co-edited Learning to Live Together, The Return of Mad Dogs and Englishmen, about Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour, featuring the late Leon Russell, Tedeschi Trucks Band, Rita Coolidge, and Chris Robinson of the Black Crows, amongst many others. The movie premiered at the Woodstock Film Festival, made its international premiere at the Rain Dance Film Festival, and won Best Music Film at the Prague and Amsterdam International Film Festivals. Jesse was the executive producer of Bob Dylan in the 80s, Volume 1, a tribute album to Bob Dylan's overlooking 1980s catalog, and of Sincerely, L. Cohen, a live celebration of Leonard Cohen, a tribute concert that took place in Brooklyn after the passing of Leonard Cohen. In addition, he is currently the producer of the Relic Sessions on Twitch, a weekly live stream concert series with the largest viewership of a music channel on the Twitch platform. You can also catch him spinning his favorite rock brands of funk, disco, soul, reggae, and classic rock at festivals like Bonnaroo and Outside Lands. We're going to talk to him about, well, most of it, and many musical passions he has. But first, let me welcome you, Jesse, to In What Artworks On Air. Great to see you. you. It's so good to see you, too, Aaron. Wow, hearing your resume getting read off is uh, always like, what? Oh, God, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah. Remember, <laughs> remember that? When did I have, and when did I have time for that? I know, right? Oh. And you did it all here in Inwood for most of it, right? You know, I've lived in Inwood since 2007. And that was my junior year of college. So yeah, I've my entire like you know post grad professional career has been based here, and the best kept secret in New York City. Well, let's not let's hope the Gosh. podcast only goes to, to Deckman <laughs> Street and back. Um, well, it's safe to say you have an unbridled passion for music, um, which is something we both share. Uh, is there an early moment on in your time of life? I'm guessing it's pre-grad school, uh, that you can reflect on that drew you to the power of music? Um, I was very lucky to uh, grow up in a house of music appreciators, not a you know the uh, traditional musical household. My parents are not musicians. Um, I had some uncles who were musicians, but uh, music was always in the house. My father, uh, you know, the, the older I get, I recognize how great his taste is. Um, and uh it was can't teach taste can't teach it no and you know he got it from uh you know just he he was a northern californian in the 50s and 60s and 70s and um grew up going to monterey jazz and my grandfather would take and grandmother would take him to that so a lot of jazz a lot of blues classic Blues, classic jazz. Also classic. a great documentary, by the way, the Monterey Pop Jazz Festival. Oh, oh, the Monterey Pop Monterey Pop, Monterey Festival. Pop Festival. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Da Pennebaker. Yeah. Uh, and funny, actually, I I did something <laughs> with Monterey Pop, but we don't need to get into that. Okay. Um, so yeah, father had the sort of like uh, jazz blues realm covered, as well as some of the singer songwriters, the Bob Dylans and the Leonard Cohens. That was my father would introduce me to those artists, and my mother sort of had the. Uh, 70s rock uh, goldie oldies thing so like sort of this you know Crosby Stills and Nash FM radio her favorite band was the Doobie Brothers and <laughs> and her name's uh Debbie and you know her nickname's Doobie so um <laughs> 
so I uh, I was lucky to have uh, you know parents with good taste, uh, and you know I know them. It's kind of funny. It, you know I I think it could easily peg me, or you know there's a stigma around it. But I'm a huge fish person, fish fan. The band Fish from Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, been around for a very long time, uh, but I saw my first Fish concert when I was eight years old. And now this is a band that, like, yes, there's a stigma to Fish. I think they're a, a marvelous band, and they're still doing it, and I, I still go see them actively. Um, and But to see a band like that at a very early age, and the band sort of prides itself on the fact that they cover a lot of genres. They're genre benders, and they play rock and roll, funk music. They're not just a jam band. They're not just a jam band. They're, you know, if you just... Equate, they jam, they improvise, but their influences are really artists like Frank Zappa, The Velvet Underground, um, Parliament Funkadelic. It, uh, musicians. Music, actual musicians who practice and rehearse. And so I learned about them at a very, very early age. I saw a show very, very early on, and that always has stuck with me as sort of this moment where I was like, okay, yes, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I was eight years old, and I stuck to it. <laughs> so, do you yeah. have a favorite Fish song? No, no definitely not. Yeah. Too that's, many. That's, 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 a, that's a true fish fans um, yes. reply. Um, well, when did you decide to make it your, your career? Like having a passion for it's one thing, yeah. just to make it your vocation is quite something else. Yeah, I um, you know, I think my initial idea was that I would be in rock bands. Like I would actually be playing. I'm a guitar player. Um, so I I was you know I had bands in middle school. I had bands in high school. I had bands in college, and I stuck with bands a little bit after college. But I sort of, I discovered the possibility of, uh, you know, the recording studio as a tool and an instrument at, at the age of 14 years old. And I started interning in uh, recording studios at that age. And I loved recording. I would make home demos, uh, uh, pre-Pro Tools. You know, I would do it on cassettes. I would do it on uh god what were the ram discs you know qi20s a little tiny oh yeah yeah there was the roland recorders too yeah um obviously mini disc um and i i just loved recording and then the opportunity came up that there was a school being developed at nyu called the clive davis institute um it was a really new department and it was actually my mother who found out about it. And she said, you should look into this and see if you can get in. They're not accepting a lot of people. And lucky enough, I got into this department, uh, 20 other kids, and uh, it profoundly changed my life. I uh, studied uh, with incredible producers, rock writers, music industry professionals. And I was really, um, I was under the tutelage of some pretty amazing people. Everyone from Tony Visconti, who produced David Bowie, to Bob Power, who worked with Tribe Called Quest, The Roots, Nick Sansano, who worked with Sonic Youth and Public Enemy, and uh, Jim Anderson, um, who is a 12-time Grammy Award-winning jazz engineer. So we had these facilities that were incredible, great recording studios, large-format recording consoles. So I, I learned on big desks. I learned how to record to tape. And, uh, yeah, that, and that was, I, you know, came to New York city at the age of 18 doing that. And, uh, then my junior year of uh, college, I moved to Inwood, wow. <laughs> which was a pretty bold move for yeah. someone who is still in the, the throes of his, uh, you know, college years. A lot of late train rides home, I'm sure from the village. Oh yeah. And also you? late for class too. I remember one of my teachers was like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what's funny about that though. It was, it was my Nick, the guy who I mentioned who worked with Sonic youth. He was, he called me out on being late, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, coming in from uptown and, 
you know, obviously we know what trains are like, you know, leaving. Sometimes you never know if it's going to be the 35 minutes it takes to West Forth or, or, it's gonna, or yeah, the 50. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he moved uptown and he, and he apologized to me. <laughs> I was like, I, I told you so, <laughs> you know. But it's a great trade-off, right? Yeah, totally. You know, it yeah. keeps, it keeps, it's a nice buffer, yes. right? It keeps a buffer. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about your film, mm-hmm. Learning to Live Together, sure. The Return of Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Mm-hmm. Were you a big Joe Cocker fan before making this project? This is a really, for those of you who don't know, well, I'll let you talk about it, but 36 musicians playing together, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, so Joe Cocker and Leon Russell, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, I learned about Mad Dogs and Englishmen, the tour of 1970, where Joe uh, needed a band in a pinch. His band that he was... Uh, um, touring with up to that point, the Grease Band, uh, the band that you see in the Woodstock footage that he is uh, probably most famous for, uh, with a little help from my friend's performance that you know still stands the test of time. That yeah. people John Belushi even covered it. Yes, of course, the famous, the famous Belushi impersonation. Yes. Um, that band that played with Joe in that performance, they quit. Our Joe maybe fired them. Sort <laughs> it's of like, Woodstock, forget it. We're yeah, done. <laughs> exactly. We've seen it all. Um, so Joe needed a band, and he uh, hits up Leon Russell, who at the time wasn't a household name. He was actually a producer in Los Angeles and a session player, but he knew all the players in L.A., and Joe and Leon had done some work together. Joe hits up Leon, says, I need a band, and Leon says, well, I've had this concept of just you know, bringing like 50 people out on the road. Would you want to do that? And Joe says, sure, because I need a band. <laughs> And Leon also was like, it's also easier for me to just like get a bunch of people rather than like pick the four or pick the five. So Joe goes all in on this crazy concept. The record label's like, holy crap, we have to film this. We have to charter a plane. We have to record this. And thus Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And if you're a fan of this music, it, you know, it exists on a lot of people's top shelf. It's one of my favorites. And there's a documentary about that tour. Uh, uh, It's a verite documentary. You watch it and it's a lot of slice of life. It's, you know, you're seeing what it's like to be on the road. It's not a sit-down interview film. You really kind of don't know what's going on throughout the whole thing. I call it the Robert Altman uh, rock doc uh, because it's like, what the heck is going on? There's like soundtrack over soundtrack and like someone's talking and who's that? It's more of a voyeur thing where you're just kind of peaking yes. in the different slices of life. Absolutely. Interspersed with these incredible performances right. by Joe and the band. Um, so this tour happens over two months in 1970, and it never happens in any way, shape, or form ever again. Um, and so if you're a fan of this music, this was sort of like a golden goose, was like, will the Mad Dogs and Englishmen ever reunite? Um, so in 2014, Joe Cocker passes away, and uh, the Tedeschi Trucks Band, Grammy award-winning band with Derek Trucks, uh, considered by many to be the greatest living guitar player, uh, and his wife Susan, who is one of the greatest uh, soul singers out there, they have this band with 12 people in it that they formed sort of in, uh, you know, uh, influenced by Mad Dogs and Englishmen. So they were actually talking to Joe Cocker about doing Mad Dogs and Englishmen with him at one point, pretty vaguely, but it was in the works. So with this opportunity gone, um, they pivoted and uh, asked Leon if he'd be interested in doing a Joe tribute with Mad Dogs. And then they were like, you know what? Let's just try to invite every living Mad Dog we can. And that's what my film is about. It's about the original tour and about this reunion. And they managed to pull off the only reunion of the Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And how did you get invited into the process? Because you, it wasn't you knocking on Leon's door. <laughs> I, I wasn't right? knocking on Leon's door. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, but... Uh, 
the the concert took place at a festival in Virginia called Lockin, and the uh, principal of that festival is a guy named Pete Shapiro who in New York uh, runs a lot of venues uh, actually not too far from Inwood the Capitol Theater sure uh, and great venue great venue and the Brooklyn Bowl uh, and Pete and I uh, have been you know collaborators and uh, he's been a you know someone who I've worked with over the years and many different things including now the Relic Studio um, and uh, one of my favorite uh, humans in the crazy music industry that I uh, that uh, in at least in my section of the music industry and and is just such a beloved person. And he was the guy who opened the door for me. And uh, it's like, Hey, this guy wants to make, you know, at this point I'm a record producer. I'm not a filmmaker, right? This is about six years ago. Your first documentary, right? Yeah. Uh, First. Yes. Technically. I'd like to call it my first Uh, in the middle of it. I actually made another film for Tedeschi trucks right? because they saw what I was doing and they needed to make a film of their own. Um, as like for the hey, record. let's ask that guy. Yeah, let's ask the guy who's like doing this other thing for us, right? And he's like, he seems to know what he's doing. Uh, little did they know. <laughs> I like to joke with Derek and Susan about that. Now it's like you didn't know that I wasn't really a director yet, did you? <laughs> I was faking it till I made it. The reason why I brought that up though, yeah. because it's you never get something on your own, right? It's something that you always have someone vouching for you, or it's about relationships sure. and opening that door for you for this brand new experience to you, sure. which opened up so many more doors. Yes, absolutely. You know, never be afraid to you know ask people for help, or at least put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, you know, shoot your shot. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, because you know, if you don't do it, then you're let them say no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and well, don't be- don't get too upset when they say no, because trust me, people are going to tell you no. Most of the time. <laughs> well, we hope you can submit it for the next Inwood Film Festival as it comes oh, will around. You, will I think you please? Be, uh, well, it's up to you. you got to submit it. And, and, and just everybody knows, too, it's never just up to me. I have a selection uh, committee. People don't get mad in the street and, you know, take me out with a knife in C-Town for not selecting their film, whatever. It's always, it's not just up to me, but I do, I open the door, you have to walk through it. Kind of I, I, like I to, will, we'll talk about it offline. Yeah, sure. Uh, unfortunately, but, our year of film festivals is up, though, at, in October, but, right. you know, I have, uh, you know, very excited to see the program that you've put together for this year. Oh, festival. it's going to be fantastic this year. We're just happy to be able to do it. Awesome. Um, but uh, but we we don't have windows or programs. We 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 try to work with people, but cool. um, we'll talk. But as they say in New York City, we'll talk. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to mention that uh, you've also executive produced back to the album front of things yeah. tributes to Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen like I mentioned before yeah. um, and so we see with Mad Dogs and uh, then Bob and Leonard it's a big tribute theme to your sure. to your producing work so yeah. to speak so you're a bit of do you see yourself I mean not intentionally maybe but a bit of a musical archivist I uh, yeah I it not it is very intentional um, I like if you know I'm a sound historian. I I'm a crate digger, you know, at record stores. I love teaching people. That's how about I spent most of my time going yeah. through record stores. Yeah. Like the most calming therapy I think could possibly be just going through all the albums. Well, maybe we should talk about opening a record store here at Inwood. Wouldn't you that know? be nice? <laughs> I, I have at least five minutes of my day for that. I could possibly do that. We no sort of had one at what was the the antique store on your block? Uh, Scavengers. Scavengers. Yeah, yeah they had a great. they had a record bin there. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. talk. Maybe yeah. it could possibly happen. <laughs> we can do Inwood Artworks rec- records and things. Totally. I mean, look, I uh, have. I love music history. My taste is very uh, aligned with older music. Um, when I DJ, I'm usually playing like funk and disco and soul music from the 60s and 70s. Um, 
and I work with a lot of new bands too, but I just, you know, have this inclination for older music. And yeah, so I work on these tribute projects that my mission is to bring light to things that maybe people from my generation missed or younger generations might not have an opportunity to learn about unless someone like me did something to pay tribute and honor. Well, I think it's wonderful because it's like you tastemakers are made by showing other people taste. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, no, listen to this. It's like, I didn't have a big brother or big sister. I had to go out and find it myself or from my other friends who had big brothers or big sisters. Or, I mean, I still have the fondest memories of riding the school bus like in fourth grade. And remember boom boxes, people, you know, ghetto blasters, if you will, Yes. depending on your neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you had people with cassettes playing, you know, like the very first Mellencamp album, you know, in 1982, whatever. And you're just like, who the heck is this guy? And then some guy out of Indiana or whatever. And look at, he's blown up to be the biggest thing ever. Right. Um, at least for the Midwest. He's like, you know, as it's like, same thing. It's like you drive over the state lines, in New Jersey, all of a sudden everyone's, you know, dial goes to Bruce Springsteen. Sure. Same thing with Mellencamp in Indiana. Indiana so you drive right. over the border. Boom. It's a Mellencamp on the station. You know? Right. So it's stuff like that. You're just, and, and other new bands at the time, like the Duran Durans were coming out back in the early eighties mm-hmm. and, you know, other obviously um, you know, queen and, things like that you'd listen to like you would never have listened to um certain bands like iron maiden like what like who the heck it's because it was it was very geographical back then sure we didn't have the internet we didn't have a lot of things and so unless you did have someone say look at this listen to this you didn't know it's obviously the world is much more global than it ever it wasn't it wasn't even city to city when we were growing up well Um, that was the importance of you know having labels then because then you would get out of your locale and you would you know be on a national stage yeah less so now right Right. you could actually you know blow up in a market that you literally have nothing to do with except for the fact that someone picked up your video off of a TikTok in uh you know new mexico and like now you're the biggest thing in albuquerque and you gotta you know play that bass there because of the internet yeah it was always like i'm huge in japan right the big in japan remember the same kind of thing you know you never knew why right it's just because people were starved for totally. certain music mm-hmm. um, or certain sounds. So I think it's great what you're doing Thank and being you. somewhat of a historian, ensuring <laughs> uh, 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 the legacy of artists yeah. in many ways. Right. Um, so what is it about these artists' music that you want to sustain and make people don't forget? Like other aspects of these different artists that have any kind of commonality, you feel? Hmm. Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Leon Russell, Joe Cocker. Because they're definitely all of a certain era. Yeah, they are. They are. What is the running thread between all of them? You know, it, it's interesting. I, you know, for me, in a lot of ways, uh, I, I'm Jewish. And with, with Dylan and uh, Leonard Cohen, uh, you know, there's a sort of, you put them in, on the sort of pulpit, right, as a kid, you know. Like that's oh this is cooler than religious school. Yeah, it's like that's who should be doing the temple. <laughs> right, right. So you know, you know, you knew your rabbi was cool if they would like slip in Dylan and Leonard Cohen quotes into All of their. All the sermons. hurricane was playing in yeah. the middle of the Torah class. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm such a Dylan fan too that I love the Christian stuff. I um and and which is what my record that I did that that sort of begins with the Christian period and it goes to the late 80s I think the thing I was concerned about with the 80s uh, music was you know here with Dylan were these records that are probably the most ignored in his whole canon uh, and a lot of it had to do with the production uh, 
uh, from the 80s. Which, so pre-Wilbury stuff, right? Well, Wilbury's is 80s. So yeah, Wilbury's was fair game yeah. on the record. Okay. Someone did a Wilbury song on the album. Uh, congratulations, Elvis okay. Perkins, who's an artist I've worked with and actually worked with here and in Wood quite a bit. Um, uh, so what we tried to do with that was, you know, pay tribute, but also modernize it. Also, even like t- kind of take it back. Like, there's some tracks on that record that sort of sound like the Basement Tapes, which mm-hmm. is 1967. Right. Dylan. Um, you know, for me, it was more of like a fun production exercise, and it was like anything really specific about. Okay, this is what Bob Dylan was concerned with as a writer in the 80s. I think Bob was sort of all over the place in the 80s when it yeah. comes down to it. I think a lot of artists of that period were. Yeah. Um, but there were moments of brilliance. You know, I mean, some of his greatest songs were written in the 80s. Every grain of sand most of the time um so so if you listen to my album there's about 25 tracks on it it's sprawling so um but man i made that a long time ago but just get, yeah. get but congratulations getting the rights for all that stuff uh thank you <laughs> i mean that's that's tough no that you know that was you know it's not a with a tribute album it's different than a movie uh you don't actually have to get rights for it you okay. can cover anything and put it on an album you just have to pay uh the royalty to, the royalty to harry fox uh what i had to do was get the blessing of the dylan camp well, that's come saying like, yeah that, that's the you yeah. couldn't move forward without that well you know i don't know if i'm am i allowed to curse on this podcast sure okay not? okay so we'll bleep you out I'm the name of the record initially was Shitty Dylan. That was a band I had in college. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so and it was a riff on the Wayne's World line, the Shitty Beatles. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when they're talking to Meatloaf at the beginning. Yeah, yeah the Shitty Beatles. Like, right. is that just a clever name, or do they suck? They suck. <laughs> um, so me and my buddies in college, we had a, a joke band called Shitty Dylan. And so the idea was, well, let's make Shitty Dylan the album with a bunch of like amazing artists. So that's what it was. It was called Shitty Dylan Volume 1. Uh, we went to... Uh, uh, Bob's manager, Jeff Rosen, who's uh, since become a dear friend and uh, confidant in uh, my life. Uh, and he said, I'll support this record just as long as you don't call it shitty Dylan. <laughs> You're like, okay, Doc. Okay, then Bob Dylan in the 80s, volume one. And then back to the Woolberries, the idea would yeah. be if we ever decided to do a second volume, we'd call it volume three. <laughs> right, and skip right. Volume yeah, three. As, yeah, as the second Wilburys album yeah. is volume three, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, awesome. Well, I love the Wilbury stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's some of the most brilliant stuff. And obviously, hold uh, that could be its own documentary in itself. Yeah, you know what? That then there is a ton of video footage, as we know. So yeah. you know, that, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> no, there's only a few rounds still. Yeah, true. You know? um, well, moving from the past to the present, you also host a weekly live stream concert yeah. series called The Relic Sessions yeah. on Twitch. So tell us, tell our listenership, since it's uh, about listening, it's about music. Sure. Um, what about what about makes The Relic Sessions so unique? Well, so in uh, wow, I you know I was I'll tell the whole story, and it goes back to Pete Shapiro, uh, who. Um, he run owns Relics magazine. So Relics is a, a magazine. It's one of the only in print independent music magazines. Uh, still, still in print, um, like based in the United States. So there's Mojo and Uncut, uh, and uh, NME and the UK. But in the US, like Rolling Stone and Spin and all these uh, other magazines, they're all owned by like Condé Nast and crap, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. they're all owned by bigger companies. Um, Relics is completely independent and still manages to you know, be in print, which is pretty incredible yeah. uh, for a music m- magazine. Um, so, but they also, had, they're a media company as well. And they had done a bunch of video stuff uh, from their office, but the office closed down in the pandemic. And I get a call in December of 20 and, you know, the th- you 
know, the winter of the pan, uh, the first winter of the pandemic, uh, from Pete, and he asked me if I'd be interested in producing um, this new series for them. Uh, you know, it's live streaming, uh, it's sound, but it's video as well. And at this point, I've done enough of it to know what I'm doing. <laughs> and what we did is we took over the Jazz Standard uh, on 27th and Park, uh, wow. and we turned that venue into an exclusive live streaming venue. And we have bands come in and, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, it was really something quite powerful because a lot of these artists who hadn't been playing shows for a year, this was like their first time on a stage with like monitors. I remember we had this one artist come in um, and there was like one of my sound engineers, like, you know, there was like a moment of feedback and I was like, oh, so sorry about that. And she says, no, I haven't heard feedback in a year. (laughs) And um, so it's on Twitch, which is the, you know, uh, Amazon's like. Uh, YouTube and uh, it's all live we have bands come in and they play about an hour they interact with the audience on the chat um, so it feels like there's an audience there and it's yeah it's just great we have like emerging acts uh, we have also popular acts too next month we have Dispatch OAR and Hanson coming to the wow. studio yeah it's gonna be a crazy May um, and uh yeah, and we've had Christian McBride on the jazz front to keep the jazz standard thing alive. Relics is kind of a Grateful Dead, what was originally a Grateful Dead fanzine, and also tied into Fish as well. A lot of you know Fish love from that magazine, but they cover all genres as well. Um, so a lot of jam bands. Never thought as well. Fish and Hanson would be mentioned in the same sentence. I know. Well, <laughs> actually, you know, Fish did cover Umbop as a joke in 1998, but you know, it's a yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, all the useless fish knowledge in this mind of mine, you know, but yes. <laughs> I, mean, I think the next thing is having a fish podcast for yourself. Oh, no, absolutely not. I've been on a few, though. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> See, I knew yeah, it. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and, and is, so this is kind of an extension of your life as a DJ in a way, too, because yeah. you're kind of a tastemaker doing, um, are you help programming it as well? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Well. And then you're, and then you, are you going out DJing now or I not am. So yeah. Okay. I'm also, I'm starting to do it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've done, like you mentioned before, I've done, uh, an assortment of stuff. I used to regularly play at like a couple clubs downtown. Like I would be like a, have like a weekly slot, um, at the, uh, now defunct place called the hi-fi bar, uh, which is on Avenue A. Um, but uh, even tonight, even though I know, I don't know when this is airing, <laughs> but I, I'm going to the Brooklyn bowl and I will be DJing at the Brooklyn bowl tonight. Um, but yeah, and for fish, I DJ at their, uh, Mexico, uh, getaway, <laughs> which is a, a fun gig for me. Cause you know, I get to play after one of my favorite bands. Um, but yeah, I love DJing. It's a, a lot of fun and it's a, you know, it exercises a whole, it exercises a couple muscles for me. It exercises the music history and curation. And then on top of it, you know, the music, musical element, you know, cause I don't just play songs and just fade into another one i'm trying to think of transitions right. time uh key and uh you know i try to make it a show you know i try to make it feel, feel the energy in the room exactly see how people reacting to all the natural progression of the sound that's all that's what that's the name of the game love it yeah. love it well maybe we'll get you to do something up here sometime oh yeah that'd be fun just open your window and put a put a, put a speaker uh, outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then get you know cb12 just complaining what the heck was that guy doing oh they'll complain anyway it doesn't yeah, matter i know i know <laughs> Yeah. I know I, I know some people at CB12. We can, we can get something happening. Okay, you know, okay. You, you never know. Well, but, I, uh, you know, I don't know if this is, should be for public consumption, but at one point I 
did make a really big effort to try to put concerts on on the lawn. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that stuff's CB12. That's the Parks Department. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, you, and you know I know about the Parks Department oh, yeah. doing the films outside <laughs> and doing Shakespeare outside and doing everything yeah, else yes. outside. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. And likewise, and, um, and let's not give up on the dream. Maybe we can yeah. do something out there. It's a at, perfect field for it. You know, you look at it, and I've taken some professionals who do this, uh, you know, outdoor concerts, like, and you know, on the White House and you know Central Park and stuff, and I've taken them there. I'm just like, you see this, and that, you know, the, the, like where the the rock is, and yeah, whichever to, to Gaelic what, Field, that's where, where we did our Alfresco yeah. movies pre-pandemic. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. a perfect place for a stage. It's right? a perfect place for a stage, and yeah. you know, it can be done. I think now, it there was more. Well, we can talk offline. Oh, but, yeah. but, but I think I think there's more understanding now than perhaps before. I think. Some people see how silly they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other times, um, I think there's more people in roles now that are enabling people to make things happen for underserved communities sure. that perhaps weren't as open to it before. Sure. But then again, it's all bureaucracy. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's very subjective. I work in the arts. It's all about people saying no and yes based off a of whim half the time. Yep. And that's the same as city government. Yep. So <laughs> we're, we're used to, I'm very much Which used I know to, nothing about. Which I know, <laughs> what I know nothing about, but I have to deal with on a daily basis. So I very much understand how to, you know, it's, but it, like you said before, it's about people you know and who's going to help you. Yes, so but we'll figure it out. Yes. Um, uh, on a parting note, um, mm-hmm. we, we know you have many favorites and many different bands. No. And we mentioned some emerging talent. Who are you listening to right now? Like turn people on to. Oh my God! Wow. Um, I. <laughs> it's fine. I'm wearing a shirt, uh, you know, for people in Video Land for Silk Sonic, which is like you know they they won, uh, you know, a ton of Grammys at the, uh, just about a month ago, and I, I I was at the Grammys and I I got to see them perform and it was just fabulous. I you know if they go on tour. Um, Definitely spend the exorbitant amount of money <laughs> that the ticket costs because it's well worth it. Um, there's an artist, uh, two artists I'm working with who um, I simply adore. Um, uh, one named Neil Francis, uh, who's a singer, piano player from Chicago, uh, funky. If you like Leon Russell, Dr. John, Elton John, um, here's like a kind of like a younger version of that with you know a modern mentality. Um, and then another artist I work with, uh, she's based in uh, upstate New York, named Michaela Davis. Uh, we just did a project together, and uh, she's a harpist and singer. But uh, if you like The Grateful Dead, <laughs> she plays with Bob Weir from The Grateful Dead. Also, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, I don't know if we're wrapping up now. Little known fact for all you Deadheads out there: uh, Mickey Hart of The Grateful Dead, uh, you know, early resident of Inwood. I um, did know that. You did know that? Yeah, okay. but but not people do, though, so I'm not glad you said it. I actually, Mickey and I talked about it. I told Mickey once. I was like, oh, yeah, reminded that, um, hey, dude, I live in Inwood. And he was like, get the hell out, man. Oh, tell me all about it. How is it over there? <laughs> is that, like, you know, and is guess that who else lived here? Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley? No. No. What? I think 215, I believe. Wow. Yeah, and, and Seaman, close to it over wild, there. Wild, wild. There's yeah. another drummer who I just adore, uh, have, have since I was a kid, named Billy Martin, who grew up in this neighborhood of the band Medeski Martin and Wood. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he grew up here. I think his father was here, or his parents were here, basically up until recently. Wouldn't it be great to put together like a Roots and Inwood concert? Yeah, right? And yeah. have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar be the <laughs> MC. Exactly. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> get Lin-Manuel to be, uh, do his thing yeah. and get, uh, you know, 
Martin, we get Stanley, we get Mickey Hart. We, yeah, we, that'd be pretty weird. That'd be uh, really weird. One artist I work with, uh, Lenny Kay, uh, Patty Smith's guitar player, and Lenny's been up in Inwood to work in my studio quite a bit. I have a, my recording studios in my apartment, um, and uh, Lenny has memories of him and Patty, uh, you know, visiting Jim Carroll up here. Uh, and so I've, I've gotten those stories and, uh, they would just hang out in the park and stuff. Uh, wow. We should get this for a documentary. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Motorcycle diaries for those who don't know Jim Carroll. Yeah. Ba- basketball. Basketball. Bas- sorry. Motorcycle. <laughs> Think basketball diaries. Motorcycle diaries. Totally different movie. Yeah. Jake <laughs> wherever I believe and everything else going on. Yeah. Um, but, There's a great uh, rich history of this neighborhood of, yeah. you know, amazing artists. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for spending time with us here yeah. on this uh, kind of a rainy Saturday afternoon here in with, Inwood. With but, the farmer's uh, market just out the, the front door. I know, you know? we got to love it, <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. And uh, Well, before we say goodbye, where can we send people to find out more about your current projects? Oh, wow. Um, well, I have a website. It's my name, uh, .com, J-E-S-S-E-L-A-U-T-E-R.com. But I'm probably of all the social media platforms I'm most active on Instagram. Um, and that's uh, J E S S uh, Jess Lauder. So no, not Jesse Lauder on Instagram. Jess Lauder, J E S S L A U T E R. Um, that's the handle. And then if they want to learn about Mad Dogs, uh, the documentary, it's Mad Dogs Doc uh, dot com at Mad Dogs Doc. Um, that's where you can find out information about screenings. There's um, we don't have any New York screenings coming up, but um, we'll be at the at Bedford. Uh, if anyone wants to make the train ride, uh, I think it's June uh, the second, but okay. I could be mistaken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's on MadDogsDoc.com. All all theater lists. All right, we'll put there. some of the descriptions up in the uh, description of this episode. Thank you. So people can direct them to the appropriate places. So listeners, you'll have your instructions. Cool. All right. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to Thanks be with us here. Me. Thank on you. In what artworks on air? It's where I meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast, an Apple podcast that really does help. Many thanks to Church of Good Shepherd here in Inwood for hosting us and to HideSites.com for Uptown promotional support. Uh, you can support Inwood Artworks and our on-air programming by making a tax-free donation at InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. Uh, Inwood Artworks On Air is proud to be supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.